0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra in Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studios. Today is 16 May 2023, and this is going to be lecture number 66 in Immunoepigenetics. I want to remind you of some of the oxidase enzymes. They are Nomenclature has changed a bit over the years, but their um, specific mode of action obviously has not. So we want to keep track of some of the um, common names of these oxidases and oxygenases because they matter in terms of their uh, catalytic activity. And not only that, substrate product relationships, which means, of course, Kinetic parameters. So you have something called the phagocytic NADPH oxidase. It's now also known as FOX, and it will generate superoxides in phagocytes. And actually, when these superoxides are generated in those cell types, it's considered part of the immune defense response particularly microbiocidal activities. Now, the catalytic activity of the FOX genes, uh, FOX gene product is a flavocytochrome GP91 protein and it's inactive in resting phagocytes like macrophages or dendritic cells but it becomes activated once the phagosomal membrane starts to uh, make a transformation to higher levels of sphingolipids. When that occurs, several protein subunits are lipid membrane rafted into the phagosomal membrane. These include P47 and P67, those are both FOX subunits, as well as the RAC, RAC gene, product. So keep all of that in mind. There's also a whole group of homologs of what are known as GP91 FOX proteins. The NADPH oxidase itself also, the NOX, and the dual oxidase, the DUOX, yes, that's D U O X family. And there are multiple members of those two um, oxidases, the uh, NOx and the DUOX. And I want you to keep uh, aware of the fact that they are being named, now, this is in the literature, starting off in the early 2000s, associated not just with the catalytic efficiencies or substrate specificity, but where they were localized. So some of these nox and duox proteins are found in epithelia, endothelia, including smooth muscle cells, right? And often what occurs in the activity of these enzymes in these tissues is the production of superoxide and hydrogen peroxide So the NOX enzymes are supposed to be the functional equivalent for ROS generation that's associated with signal transduction related to cellular growth and expansion. This includes angiogenic properties, but also the activity of programmed cell death, particularly canonical form of apoptosis. Now, NOx enzymes also seem to play a role in innate immune responses, like we were just talking about the phagocytic approach. And that innate immune response can also be discovered in non-circulating cells, but in cells such as the epithelia of the small intestine and the large intestine. And in that instance, looking at the catalytic efficiency, these enzymes, these NOX enzymes, are contributing more like FOX enzymes because these cells, these barrier cells in epithelia are actually phagocytic. Now, more about the DUOX enzymes. Now they're called DUOX because they have dual function. So they have a Ross-generating domain that is essentially homologous to the GP91 FOX enzyme, but there's also a peroxidase protein domain, and that will use hydrogen peroxide, which is produced from the GP91 FOX domain to carry out multiple forms of peroxidations on multiple substrates, including fatty acids and cholesterol. So the duox enzyme in the thyroid, for example, is actually associated with thyroid hormone biosynthesis. And now maybe we can go back and uh, review that. I know I reviewed it several, I guess now years ago, but I can go back and review that. Now the duox enzyme that we normally think about was first characterized in C. elegans. And that enzyme was described as cross-linking tyrosine residues. So these enzymes not only generate reactive oxygen and use reactive oxygen as substrates for further oxidation or peroxidation reactions, such as with peroxy fatty acids, these enzymes are also capable of cross-linking any amino acids that have a hydroxyl group. And that cross-linking can have a major role in protein activity and agency. And we talked a lot about that when we were discussing DNA polymerase reactions and RNA polymerase reactions. And that was in late 2022, as I recall. But I want you to keep in mind that these oxidase enzymes aren't simply playing a role in generating reactive oxygen or further permutating reactive oxygen. These enzymes play a very significant role in cross-linking protein. And cross-linking protein can be beneficial, homeostatic, or it can be um, detrimental and pathogenic. Multiple disease states, we've talked about proteinopathies based on cross-linking, errant cross-linking of polypeptides, generating proteinopathies because of aggregation of those proteins, which can lead to, yes, ultimately immune responses. Uh, Now, that then allows me to generalize these oxidase enzymes such as the NOX, the FOX, the DUOX, have been implicated in atherosclerosis, associated hypertension, multiple types of cancer and in autoimmune responses. Finally, in endocrine disorders. Now, when I say finally, there's more to it than all of that, but I'm just giving you the major blocks of pathologies in biomedicine where these enzymes have uh, been determined to play a role. <clears throat> now, remember that professional phagocytes, These are things like macrophages and dendritic cells, to name just two. They will generate autonomously an appropriate amount of reactive oxygen. And they will use a superoxide generating NADPH oxidase. And that is part of their overall, again, as I mentioned 10 minutes ago, microbiocidal activity or agency. So you have a multi-component phagocyte oxidase, when it was first described, that's the FOX, been well characterized. And I told you all about it already, about the subunit GP91 associated with being able to generate hydrogen peroxide, and then the other subunit being able to utilize that hydrogen peroxide. Now this occurs in signal transduction cascades, and in extracellular matrix protease active, activation. So that's all part of the immune response directly related to these uh, enzymes. So let's go ahead, and because I, I'm not sure when we talked about it before, but the synthesis of thyroid hormones. Let's go back and talk about this for a moment, because it's significant to our understanding of this whole system. It's a multi-step process and it's associated with multiple redox chemical reactions that use hydrogen peroxide as the oxidative agent. So H2O2 is contained within the lumen of thyroid follicles and it is a component of the functional activity of the thyroid gland. So the follicles are formed by a monolayer of polarized epithelia. Of course, because it's the thyroid, they're called thyrocytes. And they're surrounded by a very large central lumen, uh, which is a component, again, of this follicle. The lumen is separated by an apical surface of thyrocytes that are connected to each other by tight junction domains, and that is going to prevent any leaking of the lumen into the extra follicular space, okay? Now, the outer side of the follicle, follicle, now, why all this compartmentalization? Because you're dealing with redox reactions, which will generate partially reduced forms of molecular oxygen, or ROS, which can be detrimental to the system. That's why there's so much compartmentalization involved in the thyroid associated production of thyroid hormones, right? So we do some cellular physiology here because that's a component of biochemical process. So let's go back to this. There's a, the outer leaflet of the follicle is actually sealed by a basolateral plasma membrane. This is all part of the thyrocyte. Uh, composition now those basal lateral plasma membranes are enriched with phosphatidylethanolamine and phosphatidylserine. Those two phospholipids. The lumen of thyrocytes has a colloid protein suspension, which is primarily consisting of free thyroglobulin. Now, what is thyroglobulin? That's a rather large protein. It's about 660,000 daltons. That's right. And it it amasses about 50% of the total protein content in the thyrocyte. And of course, this thyroglobulin, this very large precursor protein, is going to be then utilized to synthesize all the thyroid hormones. So, How does this initiate? Thyroid hormone synthesis first requires the oxidative iodination of unique specific tyrosine residues on the thyroglobulin protein. Now that process is called in the older literature, and so you'll still see it, iodide organification Really, it's nothing more than an oxidative iodination. And it's catalyzed by thyroid peroxidase, that's TPO, another very important protein in the thyroid So that whole process has another term in the thyroid. It's called hormonogenesis. And it requires a certain amount of hydrogen peroxide for this complete oxidative metabolic production of thyroid hormones. Okay. So the luminal hydrogen peroxide comes from NADPH as an electron donor and it requires calcium for activation of that enzyme. This hydrogen peroxide generating enzyme is then an nadph card carrying oxidase so it's a nox so the major source of hydrogen peroxide in the thyroid follicle is actually an isoform of a dual oxidase so therefore it is a duox and it's specifically the dual oxidase two isoform. Now, in contrast to duoxidase two isoform generated physiological reactive oxygen production, pathologically increased levels of hydrogen peroxide are linked to not this hormonogenesis process, but to thyroid gland carcinogenesis. And what happens with super high levels of hydrogen peroxide is an enhanced mitogenic receptor signaling, which then turns on oncogene activation via mutational uh, activity of the reactive oxygen associated with H2O2. So that particular isoform, which which is associated with the mitogenic response, leading to oncogenic activation, that isoform of the oxidase is known as NOX-4. So there's been a lot of targeting against NOX-4 in more recent uh, primary clinical literature. So the dual oxidases, one and two, as I just mentioned, are expressed in the thyroid, but also you find the enzymes active in, in the gut lung, and in many immune cells, as we mentioned a while back. Now, the duox 1 and 2 are expressed in neuroblastoma cells, as well as in oligodendrocytic cells coming from a human uh, cell line. So these enzymes are induced by platelet-derived growth factor, PDGF. And in association with the activation via PDGF, increases in duox 1 and 2 at the level first of transcription, and then translation, and then activity of the enzymes is linked to increases in reactive oxygen species. And this is all produced in the membrane via... The NADPH oxidase enzymatic domain, protein domain. So PDGF stimulates membrane NADPH oxidase directly to produce ROS. That stabilizes that 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 uh, um, enzymatic event. Stabilizes the duox one and two transcripts. So this is essentially an epigenetic phenomena. Furthermore, it increases the level of translation. So any silencing of that GP91 Fox, which was renamed NOx2 in later literature, or of that other membrane subunit of NADPH oxidase, which is now called P22-FOX, will effectively eliminate PDGF induction of those dual oxidase enzymes, one and two. So you see there's a very unique epigenetic mechanism that regulates at the transcriptional and also at the post-transcriptional level, the activity of the duox enzymes in association with hydrogen peroxide. So you now have an axis or a circuit that links NADPH oxidase activity directly to the duox mobilization and activation in neuroblastoma, human neuroblastoma. So there's a linkage there, of course, directly with uh, disease. Now... I want to go back and talk about, you know, we got all all into this oxidase discussion, if you'll recall, three lectures ago, maybe more than that, maybe four lectures ago, because we were talking about oxidative activities with the membrane lipid cholesterol. Specifically, we were discussing seven-keto cholesterol and atherogenic plaque formation in blood vessels. So you're aware of the fact that 7-ketocholesterol will induce that, and therefore it's associated at, with the activities of being a causative agent. Now, I don't like that word. I still say correlated agent for... Um, multiple types of cardiovascular disease. One atherosclerosis and the other cardiovascular diseases are linked under the senescence associated secretory phenotype or the SASP phenotype, which we discussed a great deal when we were doing our aging lectures. So there's an autooxidation of membrane cholesterol esters that can occur in circulation or as the low-density lipoprotein docks and deposits its lipid load. This can lead to the formation of what is known as oxy-LDL. And some of the byproducts of oxy-LDL will include various oxidation products of cholesterol. One of them is seven keto cholesterol. Now you find seven keto cholesterol in atherosclerotic plaque. I've mentioned this now several times. And it's been associated because of all those uh, um, interactions with the enzymes involved in plaque formation downstream from the seven keto, remember that. It's been associated then to be cytotoxic and therefore corrupting cellular homeostasis, okay? And therefore, 7 keto cholesterol has been directly linked to morbidity and mortality in humans, right? And 7 keto cholesterol then, because of all the different effects that it has on, for example, macrophages, which I'm going to recap here in a moment, um, then we'll link oxy-LDL and 7 cholesterol to the production of foam cells and then necrotic plaque. Now, think about how T-lymphocytes and monocytes can both enter the intima. How do they do this? This is all now discussing at the beginning of a blood vessel-associated atheroma, which will ultimately lead to a necrotic plaque. This is going to be smooth muscle cell association, right? So a T-lymphocyte or monocyte can diapodise within a smooth muscle cell. When the T-lymphocyte moves in and generates interferon gamma, it will induce monocyte to macrophage, morphological alteration. The macrophage will then start synthesizing other cytokines, which will promote more interferon gamma production from diapodized T lymphocytes within the intima of the smooth muscle cell. The macrophage now, because it is a hard-carrying phagocytic cell, phagocyte, I mean, will start generating reactive oxygen. The reactive oxygen oxygen will react with docking low density lipoprotein, which has as one of its cargo, cholesterol ester. The reactive oxygen will take the cholesterol ester from the LDL, that's docked on the surface or the endothelium surface of the smooth muscle cell to generate now seven-ketocholesterol. 7, keto cholesterol. seven keto cholesterol then will cause the macrophage to transform into what's known as a foam cell because of its appearance in microscopy. Now, the foam cell will start generating lipoxygenase activity, which will induce the oxygenation of preformed fatty acids. The foam cell will ultimately deliver a morphological alteration to generate an apoptotic foam cell, which then will produce multiple oxidation products and will aggregate. And that aggregate form is the necrotic plaque. Okay. So now you've got the whole um, history of T-cell monocyte Migration into the intima of a smooth muscle cell, the association of LDL docking, the oxidation of certain cargo of the LDL to generate 7-keto cholesterol, which then finishes the pathogenic state of taking a foam cell to an apoptotic cell to ultimately a plaque. Okay, so you've got to that point of our discussion here, all within this intim of the smooth, within the intima of the smooth muscle cell. Okay. Uh, so what else do I want to say here? So this is how you get cholesterol being considered the causal lipid agent of atherosclerosis, but it's not the causal agent. It's simply a lipid being delivered normally to a muscle cell and a component of that lipid inappropriately oxidized by those NOX type enzymes to a seven keto cholesterol, which is considered a toxic metabolite. But it's not the relative concentration of cholesterol in circulation that's inducing this. So lowering cholesterol in the serum doesn't have a lowering of the production of 7 keto cholesterol when you're discussing moving through the endothelium and into a smooth muscle cell intima. That concentration of cholesterol being delivered by LDL is regulated by the LDL receptor, and the the amount of LDLR that's generated has to do with a completely unique gene expression system, which is not linked to the foam cell apparatus and all the morphological, pathological uh, exchanges that occur from going from monocyte to macrophage to foam cell to apoptotic cell to the full necrotic plaque that's, that's now within the smooth muscle cell. So there isn't a correlation to the concentration of cholesterol, even on the LDL. It's simply the LDL has a receptor on the surface because normally LDL is delivering lipids, not for generating foam cells, no, for providing lipids for beta oxidation, fatty acid oxidation, for what's occurring in the smooth muscle cell as a component of bioenergetics. The cholesterol delivery is also there to repair membrane because of the auto-oxidation of membrane and to maintain membrane lipid raft mobility so that all of the receptors that are necessary for the surface of the smooth muscle cell are appropriate delivered by the membrane lipid rafts, which have to have roughly a 50-50 mole percent of cholesterol to ceramide-type sphingolipids so that those receptors that are in that membrane lipid raft faithfully acquire residence at that surface of a smooth muscle cell. You understand? So the pathology has to do with the nitric, the NADPH, not nitric, the NADPH oxidase activity, the NOx activity. And that is induced by an entirely different genetic repertoire we just went through. For example, with uh, platelet-derived growth factor, induction of activation, right? And the dimerization of the protein and its utilization. So that's the pathogenic response, not the delivery of the cholesterol, right? That's not the pathogenic process, sensu strictu. All right, with that, I'm gonna close for today, and I'm actually gonna finish without being cut off. (laughs) Sorry for the delay of this uh, lecture for the last couple of days, but I've been working on a bunch of other projects, writing projects, and I wanted to get back to this uh, today. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast, 16 May 2023, uh, wishing you a pleasant uh, Tuesday afternoon again, uh, and bye for now.